morning, Covenant family. Boy, it is so good to be together with you all. There is just life that comes from this, isn't there? Gathering together as God's people. I was just thinking about um, all the gatherings of people that are taking place around the world through playoff games, the, that big game that's happening um, a week from today, uh, and all the gatherings taking place in China for sporting events, and, and so many other settings in which uh, Purdue basketball and so on, people are gathering together. This morning, we are gathering together for the most important things of all and uh, in the most life-giving way of all. What a haven our family can be for one another as we come into the Lord's presence. There was a time during the past two years when right after the service, somebody came up to me This is somebody who uh, had lost a parent to COVID. And this person said to me in tears, I don't understand. Why would God do this? Why would God allow COVID to happen? One of the greatest questions that we have to wrestle with as human beings is whether or not we can really trust God, isn't it? Most of us can affirm that God is powerful, he's strong, mighty, sovereign, he's in control. Yeah, but can we trust him? Is he good? You didn't get into the college you wanted or didn't make the team. You were teased by students at school or rejected by a group of friends. You've watched as a loved one has gotten swallowed up by drugs or alcohol. You've lost a job or a child. You've just learned that you have a learning disability or a hearing condition or a terminal illness. Can I trust God now? Is he good? We're nearing the end of our walk through in the first 11 chapters of John's Gospel, in a series called Unfolding Jesus, in which we've been studying together these great, amazing, self-revelatory statements that Jesus makes as he helps us to understand more and more of who he really is. And in each of one of these chapters, Jesus uses a different image to tell us something about himself. Jesus is the Lamb of God, the new wine, the light of the world, the living water, the bread from heaven, the Son of God, different metaphors, different word pictures, each one meant to capture some unique aspect of who he is and why he came. Expressed in a way that doesn't just convey the truth, doesn't just convey the information, but is meant to capture our hearts and engage our imaginations. Well, in the chapter that we're looking at today, in chapter 10 of John's Gospel, Jesus describes himself using the imagery of a shepherd caring for his sheep. Now, for us, as we live here in the Midwest of the United States, where essentially the only exposure that we have to raising livestock is a giant bovine assembly line called Fair Oaks that's a little ways up the road, our understanding of the relationship between a sheep and a shepherd in the ancient world is pretty limited. But it was intimately familiar to the people who were hearing these words when Jesus first spoke them. This is a word picture that was lived out in front of them every single day of their lives. 
Here's the basic picture that Jesus paints with his words in John chapter 10 to describe the relationship that he desires to have with his followers. This is a drawing that I found on the internet that really shows the three main parts of the metaphors. First of uh, the metaphor. First of all, the sheep. Sheep are known by anybody who's ever raised them or been near them. Sheep are known to be incredibly sociable. They love being together, easily influenced, easily misled, leading one another right off of the side of a cliff, vulnerable, fearful, helpless, and prone to getting in trouble. So basically a woolly ball of needs. That's us. And then there's the shepherd who lives with the sheep, providing for the sheep by bringing them out to water and pasture each day, sheltering them by bringing them into the fold each night and protecting them day and night by guarding them with his own life against wild animals or storms or, or cliffs or shadows or gusts of wind or whatever else might cause them to panic or threaten them. So basically, a leader and a companion sufficient for every need that a sheep faces in life. Jesus says, that's me. And then the third part of the imagery is this circle around the sheep, known as the sheepfold or the sheep pen. Every night, the shepherd leads his sheep into the sheepfold, which is a circular stone wall topped with thorns, and he places himself at the entrance to protect them from intruders. And then every morning, he leads them out for fresh water and pasture. So in John 10, Jesus uses this imagery of the shepherd, the sheep, and the sheepfold to convey really profound truths about the relationship that he intends to have with his people. And uh, it won't surprise you that the more you understand about the behavior of sheep and the more you understand about the ancient practice of sheep herding, the more you will, uh, this, this metaphor will just pop uh, and come alive for you. So if you want to learn more or want to be reminded of some things you already know, uh, I preached on this passage on September 1st, 2019, in a series called Snapshots of the Church, and a sermon called The Flock. I would encourage you to just go back and listen to that or, or read through it again. In a sense, that sermon is really part one of the sermon this morning. What I'd like to do is to look at a second layer of Jesus's teaching as he talks about himself as a shepherd and us as a sheep. Jesus says that he's the sheep, or, or he is the shepherd, we are the sheep, but he doesn't leave it at that. In John chapter 10, verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. The more you spend time in this passage, the more you realize that Jesus isn't just elaborating on this word picture of, of shepherd and sheep. As it becomes obvious, when you discover the way that he's constantly comparing the way that he treats the sheep with the behavior of other, uh, others that the sheep might encounter, strangers or, or hired hands or thieves and robbers, his intention is in this teaching is to open up the kind of shepherd that he is. He isn't just saying, whatever a shepherd is, that's what I am. He is saying, whatever sets apart a good shepherd from a bad one, that's what I am. I am the good shepherd. Well, right away, we run into a bit of a problem here. The problem is with the word good. Have you noticed how over the top is the use of superlatives in our everyday conversation in the United States these days? Hi, what can I get you? A uh, latte, please. Perfect. And maybe one of your brownies? Amazing. Anything else? Uh, no, thanks. Excellent. Can I get a name for that order? David. Outstanding. 
that is a word-for-word uh, recording of a conversation I had with someone. So if a Starbucks order is amazing and my name is outstanding, then what becomes of this little word good? Largely stripped of its meaning, it has taken on a distinctly bland and ironic tone. Did you hear that we're supposed to get more sub-zero weather? Oh, good. <laughs> and yet, even while the word good is getting stripped of the weight of its meaning, at the same time, I don't know if this is true for you, but I've discovered this uh, in my own use of the word. When I encounter someone who is genuinely thoughtful and other-centered and self-sacrificial, someone who out of, the, out of the simple overflow of who they consistently are does something remarkable for someone else, I don't go to the superlatives. I go to this word, the word good. Wow, I might say. I can think of times when I've turned to Sharon and said, what a good man in describing someone who is living out of the goodness of their heart. So though this word has lost much of its meaning today, it still has that deepest sense. And I think we'll find that that is exactly the way that we can use it to describe Jesus as our shepherd. So when we turn to the first 18 verses of chapter 10 in John's gospel, we see Jesus unfolding the kind of shepherd he is, and he does this through four comparisons that he makes. In the process, he elaborates on four different dimensions of what it means for him to be good. I find it really interesting that when you open up a dictionary and you look at all the different definitions of the word good, there are lots of them, they tend to cluster around four main qualities. First, someone who is reliable, trustworthy, and true in their credentials. Second, someone who is kind and benevolent in their affection. Third, someone who is virtuous and commendable in their motives. And then last, someone who is beneficial or advantageous to others in their actions. And what's really interesting is those happen to be, just happen to be, the same four qualities that Jesus highlights about his own goodness as a shepherd. Jesus says, John chapter 10, verse 11, again, John chapter 10, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. So what makes him good? What makes him worth trusting or following? Well, let's listen as Jesus describes these four different aspects of his own goodness and then contrast them with unreliable others who, who the sheep may encounter. First of all, Jesus says he is good in the sense of being reliable, trustworthy, and true in his credentials. Verses two and three, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. And the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. Jesus alone meets the requirements. He alone has a legitimate claim to being God's appointed shepherd. He doesn't sneak in. He walks in. And those who are standing at the gate waiting, they don't drive him away when they see him. They recognize him immediately as the one they've been waiting for, and they welcome him. This is an allusion to John the Baptist and the whole line of prophets that came before him, all pointing to this particular Jesus. Jesus says he is the good shepherd because he is the true shepherd. God himself has testified that this is the shepherd that he has raised up to fulfill God's purposes for humanity. His miracles, his teaching, the messianic prophecies and promises in scripture, the witness of John the forerunner, and even the supernatural 
testimony of God himself. All of these validate him, confirming that he was the one chosen for the job. And that's in contrast to rival shepherds and others that we might be tempted to follow. Verse 1, very truly I tell you, you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. This world is filled with pretenders, men and women claiming to be God's representatives, God's spokespeople, people who can speak about God with authority, who in fact are not. The pretenders come pretending to care. They come pretending to have the truth, but they come to take and not to give. Second, Jesus says he is good in the sense of being kind and benevolent in his affection for his sheep. Verse 3, the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. He is in a close mutual relationship with his sheep. He loves them and delights in them. And is full of affection for them, and they are for him. This language describes intimate friendship, a close personal knowing, a deep connection and affection. He is fond of them, and they are equally fond of him. And that's in contrast to rival shepherds. Verse 5, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. There's no close relationship. In fact, there's no relationship at all. The sheep doesn't listen to their voices because the, the sheep don't listen to their voices because the sheep don't recognize their voices. They do not know or love each other. Third, he's good in the sense of being virtuous and commendable in his motives. His heart motivation towards his sheep is pure. His heart is for their abundance, their flourishing, desiring their best, and he faithfully pursues what the sheep need most. Verses 9 and 10, I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Sheep coming in and going out and find pasture is sort of shepherding shorthand for a life of freedom and flourishing, a life of provision and peace because of the goodness of the good shepherd. Jesus says that he came to give life to his sheep. Life to the full, life that spills over in abundance. The expression means much more, better, beyond, greater, more abundant. The point is that when the shepherd comes to serve the sheep, he has come to add to what they have and not to take from what they have. And this is in contrast to others who may enter the sheepfold for more self-serving reasons. Verse 10, the, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. They have come to take from what the sheep have, not to add to it. Their real motive is not to serve the sheep. It is to use the sheep to serve themselves. And fourth, Jesus says that he is good in the sense of being beneficial or advantageous in his actions. When Jesus is shepherd, every sheep will benefit. That's because he places an extraordinarily high value on his sheep. His sheep matter to him because they belong to him. They are his sheep. Verses 3 and 4, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. 
The value that he places on his sheep translates into a willingness to sacrifice for them, to put them first, even at cost to himself. He puts their well-being ahead of his own. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus will safeguard the lives of his sheep, even at the cost of his own. So with these words, he's not only describing his day-to-day care for them as their shepherd, but he's also anticipating the moment in the not-too-distant future when he is going to willingly lay down his life, his life in exchange for theirs, in order to purchase their forgiveness and their reconciliation with God and their new life. And this is in stark contrast to other rivals for the affection of the flock. Verses 12 and 13, the hired hand is not the shepherd. He doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he's out of there. He abandons the sheep and he runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and he scatters it. And the man runs away because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. It turns out you can take care of sheep without actually caring for the sheep. Shepherds who are merely doing a job care nothing for the sheep. And when difficulties come, they think about themselves first. They're motivated by their own interests. So they protect their own lives at the cost of the sheep. So in four different ways, Jesus spells out why he can say, I am the good shepherd. As I remind you of these again, just go back through them. Think about the ways that you have experienced this. Think about the ways that this has been your own experience of Jesus as the good shepherd. First, Jesus says, I have heavenly validation for my claims. I am the true shepherd. Second, Jesus says, I have deep affection and unwavering love for my sheep. Third, Jesus says, my motives are pure, desiring that my followers would flourish in peace and plenty. And finally, he says, my heart is self-sacrificial, willing to seek your best, even when it will cost me my life. I am the good shepherd. So before we go on, have you sorted out who those strangers and hired hands and thieves and robbers are in your own life? Who in your life? Maybe it's a a well-meaning person, but with with rather self-serving intentions, or maybe it's just a bad person with evil intentions. Who in your life wants you to believe in them, follow them, support them, serve them, but isn't truly good and doesn't really have your best interest at heart? Friends trying to pull you away from your biblical convictions? A culture trying to deconstruct your faith? Social media execs trying to to keep you glued to your feeds so they can sell you to advertisers? Political pundits and entrenched hardliners who are sowing division in our culture and in the church? Colleagues who are trying to dampen your spiritual enthusiasm? Well-intentioned people of influence in your life who are trying to steer you away from devotion to Christ? Who in your life wants you to believe in them? Follow them, support them, serve them. Jesus says that he, and he alone, is the good shepherd. But that brings us to another problem with the word good. This one's kind of in the yes, but department. 
how could you say that God is good when life can sometimes be so bad? What if what he thinks is good isn't what I think is good? What if I put my trust in him and then things get difficult in my life and I experience loss and pain and trouble and difficulty? That's not good. Think of the words of Psalm 23, which Jesus is certainly intending for us to bring to mind as he speaks about himself as a good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the bright, right paths for his name's sake. So far, so good. I can go along with that definition of good. But then the psalm goes on. Verse 4, even though I walk through the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and your rod and your staff comfort me. Now, wait a minute. The valley of the shadow of death, how does that fit with a good shepherd? The fact that life is hard does not disprove that God is good, at least not in most of the rest of the world. The people born in parts of the world where hardship is a fact of life, they don't import into their relationship with God an expectation that life will become easy for them. But that can be really difficult to grasp for those of us who are born in the United States or a prosperous country like it and live in relative ease and comfort. Because of our national safety and our prosperity, we who rarely have to do without, we who are used to lives largely free from any sort of significant difficulty, we can assume that those are the categories in which we can expect to experience God's goodness. When we feel entitled to a life of ease, we can become like sheep saying to the shepherd, rid the land of menacing wolves and killing frosts and sharp rocks and biting flies and loud noises. And bring me a supersized order of green pasture and an extra large quiet water while you're at it, would you? If we're honest, we equate difficulty with failure. We see a person standing on a street corner holding a bucket in his hand, or we see someone driving a rundown car, and we judge that person as a failure. We do the same with God. If I'm struggling, then God is failing. But the fact that life is hard and is filled with pain and loss doesn't reflect on God. It reflects on life in a fallen world. As Moses says in Psalm 90, the span of our days is but trouble and sorrow. Later in John's gospel, Jesus will say, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Somehow, in the biblical moral economy, difficulties in life and the goodness of God are not seen to be mutually exclusive. Dark valleys and good shepherds can exist together. So what does it mean for Jesus to be good when life can still be so hard? Well, let's go back to the ways that Jesus tells us that we can look for him to be good and the ways that he has shown himself to be good. He never promises ease or freedom from pain. What he does promise us is that he will always be worthy of our trust. 
that he will be a dear and ever-present friend to us in all circumstances. That his heart's desire will always be for our best. And that he will put our own needs ahead of his, even when it costs him his very life. Jesus doesn't promise to be a magic genie who will make life easy. He is the good shepherd who will always be our, by our side, even when life gets really, really hard. His project isn't to give us a life of ease. It is to fold those who are his into his embrace. He uses the privations and the pests. He uses the predators and the pandemics in our lives like sheepdogs to drive us back toward him, the good shepherd. All the threats and the losses and the struggles and the uncertainties of life are the staff in the shepherd's hand that he uses to help us discover how good he is. So that we can go through life with him, held by him, carried in his arms. Now, up to this point in this passage, in the first 18 verses, Jesus has been answering the question that we have about him. What kind of a shepherd is he, really? A good shepherd is his answer. But now the conversation shifts, and in the second half of the passage, and you can go and read it uh, sometime later today, in the second half of this chapter, now Jesus is the one asking the question. And this is the question that he asks. What kind of a sheep are we? John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28, give an answer, one possible answer to the question. In this portion of the conversation, Jesus is speaking to a crowd that has a divided response to him. There are some who want to follow him, who want to believe in him. There are others who are rejecting him and believe that he's, he's evil or demonic or possessed. What kind of a sheep are we? Verses 27 and 28, my sheep listen, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What a wonderful, simple description of the life that Jesus calls us to. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice. We look to Jesus to be our shepherd, to lead us and to provide for us. And amid all the clamoring voices competing for our hearts, we give him our attention, our affection, our allegiance. I know them. The heart of the Christian life is not a life of keeping rules or, or conforming to a standard but a relationship with the living God and ever deepening knowing and being known, loving and being loved that's made possible through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. My sheep listen to my voice. They know me and they follow me. If you don't remember anything else from this morning, I'd like you to have this picture in your mind as you go out today. If you are familiar with the way that the ancient practice of shepherding played itself out, this is something that you would know intuitively. Think about this. Have you ever thought about how sheep 
get from one place to another, from the sheepfold to the pasture of the quiet waters? They don't walk from one place to another. They walk from wherever they, walk, they are to wherever the shepherd is. And the shepherd, in their midst, at their head, he walks from one place to the next. And as the sheep keep drawing nearer to him, he keeps drawing them into the life that he has for them. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. That's what it means for us to follow Jesus, the good shepherd, to keep listening for him, attending to him, hearing him, to keep looking for him, finding him, pursuing him, to keep moving toward him, abiding in him, resting in him. This print by Catherine Brown is titled Jesus and the Lamb. And it captures the essence of the life to which Jesus, the good shepherd, calls us. Finding our home in his loving heart. What kind of a shepherd is he? A good shepherd, no matter what life holds. What kind of sheep will we be? My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Whether we find ourselves in pain, in confusion, in gratitude, in loss, in peace, in disappointment, in plenty, in loneliness, in fear, in joy, he invites us to find ourselves in his loving embrace, no matter what life holds, to let him hold us. As the worship band comes forward, I'm just going to ask our team to leave this image up for um, a little moment. And I want to encourage you to just have a conversation with the Lord. With your eyes on this image, just think about how you have experienced Jesus' goodness in your life. His being the true shepherd, folding you into his heart with a profound affection. Seeking and desiring your best, even to the point of it costing his own life. What is the good shepherd saying to you this morning? And what are you saying to him?